that being the case, we will conclude general questions and we'll move on to the next item of business, which is First Minister's questions. And at question number one, I call Douglas Ross. Uh, thank you very much, Presiding Officer. And I wanted to hear about the Nairn Bypass, but maybe we'll come back to that uh, another day. Because a quarter of a billion pounds of taxpayers' money has been spent and not a single ferry built. The crucial document detailing why this awful decision was made has disappeared. But all we hear from Nicola Surgeon is this is regrettable. Regrettable. First Minister, when you suggested chopping off the bottom of classroom doors, that was regrettable. Wasting quarter of a billion pounds is much, much worse. First Minister, do you understand how angry it makes the public to hear you use weasel words like regrettable, rather than giving them the apology they deserve? First Minister. I know there's a lot of anger in Scotland, right across Scotland right now. I'm not sure it's for the reason uh, Douglas Ross has raised today, and I suspect he's going to feel the full force of that tomorrow. Um, on the issue of uh, ferries, I've made very clear uh, that the delays, the cost overruns are deeply regrettable. And I do believe, I, I believe that when things don't go right in government, it is important that leaders uh, say so. If only uh, other governments followed the same principle, perhaps things might be a bit different. But I will not, uh, and I am afraid uh, I'm not going to be moved from this, I will not uh, apologise for decisions uh, that allowed the last commercial shipbuilder uh, on the Clyde to continue in business, uh, that allows 400 uh, workers to be employed there today, yeah. earning a wage, supporting their families. Uh, and I will not apologise for investment in new ferries, uh, because the yard uh, the government is focused on ensuring that these ferries are completed um, as part of our overall investment in Scotland's ferry networks. So I'll always take responsibility uh, when things don't go right, but I'll continue to act in a way that is in the interest of this country overall. And of course, tomorrow, people have the opportunity to cast their verdict on all of that. Nicola Surgeon says she's taking responsibility. Those are weasel words to the island communities that are still without these vital ferries. And while Nicola Sturgeon won't tell it straight, Jim McCall didn't mince his words on the radio yesterday. He called the First Minister out for lying. He said, and I quote, there was no danger of the yard going under at that time. The man who this SNP government trusted to save the yard, who Nicola Sturgeon stood next to and said this was the man to turn it round, says the jobs at Ferguson Marine were safe, no matter what, because the yard had other strong contracts. Her only justification for charging ahead against expert advice has been grandstanding that she saved the jobs. Now it's emerged she didn't. The jobs were never at risk. First Minister, hasn't your main excuse just been shredded? Perhaps like that vital missing document. First Minister. Well, let me say categorically, I stand by what I said on the radio uh, the other morning, 100%. Uh, Jim McCall's many uh, things, uh, but he's not a disinterested, objective uh, observer on these matters, perhaps something uh, that we should bear in mind. But let's look at 
Uh, the two uh, key issues that I think uh, he was taking issue with, firstly, uh, he seemed to claim that I said there were 400 people employed in the yard back in 2015. I didn't say that, as uh, the transcript uh, will show. I said that 400 people are currently employed there, earning a wage, supporting their families, who would not be in employment today yeah. had the contract uh, not been awarded. That is just a matter of fact. Um, and secondly, uh, the, the yard uh, would not uh, have been in jeopardy, would not have potentially closed uh, had that contract not been awarded. Now, that wasn't tested, of course, so that can only be a matter of opinion. But I tell you this, if Jim McCall is seriously arguing that he would have continued to invest uh, his money in a yard that had no major contracts, then all I can say, that is not the Jim McCall I know. So people can make up their own minds. What I know is that the decisions uh, this government took have ensured that the shipyard is still open, operating today, focusing, yes, on delivering those ferries. And today there are 400 people working in that yard, uh, 400 people earning a wage, supporting their families, as I say. And I think uh, for all that the delays to the ferries, the overruns to the ferries are deeply regrettable. I do not regret the fact that there are 400 people employed in that shipyard today. Douglas Ross. Of course, the ferry scandal is just one example of the secrecy and incompetence that this government is famous for. Just look at Nicola Sturgeon's rap sheet of damning failures. 250 million lost on ferries, 50 million lost on BIFAB, 40 million lost on the Rangers sc uh, scandal. The worst ever A&E waiting times on record. Violent crime at record highs since Nicola Sturgeon came to power. The widest ever attainment gap in our schools with the lowest results in international school rankings. The highest drug deaths in Europe. First Minister, surely this is a record you're ashamed of. First Minister. Well, of course, uh, BIFAB is also uh, still uh, open um, and employing people. Uh, A&E challenges for A&E services uh, across uh, the whole of the UK, Europe, uh, the world, but A&E services in Scotland, the best performing of all of the yeah. four nations yeah. in the UK yeah. for six yeah. years. Uh, in terms of crime, recorded crime at one of the lowest levels since 1974, yeah. uh, down 41% since this government took uh, office. Uh, over the long term, we've seen a reduction in police-recorded non-sexual violent crime of 36 per cent uh, since this government took office. Homicide cases at their lowest level since comparable records began back in 1976. Uh, and uh, those who experience uh, crime down and lower uh, than in other parts of the UK. Uh, education, a thousand school building projects completed since this government took office. When we took office, only 61% of schools were in good or satisfactory condition. That's over 90% today. We've got lower council tax uh, than people in other parts of the UK, lower income tax for the majority, free prescriptions, free personal nursing care has been extended. We've got the Scottish child payment. We've got new benefits, the carers allowance supplement. Young Carers Grant, the Baby Box, 
Early years education and childcare trebled since the government took office, doubled in my time as First Minister. More staff working in our NHS than in any other part of the UK. More GPs per head of population. I can go on if Douglas Ross wants me to do. 100,000 affordable homes and yet, yes, crime rates down. What have we had in 12 years of Tory government at Westminster? We've had Brexit, we've austerity, we've seen poverty increasing, we've had pension cuts, we've had tax increases and worst of all, we've had Boris Johnson. Shameful, shameful First Minister. Shameful to the 1,319 individuals who died as a result of drugs in the last year, that they didn't even merit a mention in the First Minister's response. 1,319 lives lost and families destroyed, and Nicola Sturgeon yet again ignores them to get cheap applause from her SNP backbenchers. Because we know, presiding officer, when Nicola Sturgeon takes her eye off the ball, Scotland suffers. And at a local level, their record is just as bad. They have cut hundreds of millions from council budgets. They've overturned hundreds of local planning decisions. They brought in controversial sex surveys in schools. They've hit drivers with new taxes. They've let Scotland's biggest city be overrun by rubbish and rats. The SNP have let people down and Labour have helped them. In councils across Scotland, they share power. Tomorrow's election is a chance to get the focus back onto the things that really matter to people. Improving local services, rebuilding roads, investing in schools and cleaning up our streets. Scottish Conservative councillors will focus on local priorities and stand up to this SNP government when they waste a fortune on ferries, when they slash council budgets and when they cut vital services. First Minister, why should SNP candidates be rewarded for your failure? First Minister... Tory and Labour propping each other up in Aberdeen the last time I looked, or North Lanarkshire, for example. But let's get back to the issue. On drugs death, £250 million of investment pledged and secured by this government to turn that around. Council budgets, the other issue that Douglas Ross mentioned there. The Scottish Government budget in this financial year, and this comes from the Scottish Fiscal Commission, cut by Westminster, in real terms, uh, by 5%. But due to the decisions taken by this government, of course, the total funding package for local councils is up in real terms by 6%. That's the difference between the SNP and the Tories. And you really know that Douglas Ross is desperate and scraping the bottom of the barrel when he starts talking about sex surveys in schools. You know, the fact is, and I suspect this has been well noticed across Scotland in this election, Douglas Ross has spent far more time standing up for Boris Johnson than he has standing up for the interests of people in Scotland. You know, when it looked as if the Tories were actually going to get rid of Boris Johnson, 
Douglas Ross bravely at that point called for his resignation. But when that changed, Douglas Ross allowed himself to be hauled into line and has just become the cheer leader in chief for Boris Johnson. No consistency, no principle, no resolve, no backbone. That is Douglas Ross. He's not a leader, he's just a follower. Question number two, Anna Sarwar. Colleagues. Ring officer, across Scotland, local authority budgets have been slashed since the SNP came to power. Can the First Minister tell us what is the total cut in council core budgets since 2013? First Minister. Um, in terms of, uh, I've just said to Douglas Ross, of course, this year's Scottish Government's uh, budget cut uh, by uh, over 5% uh, and council total funding package up by 6%. These figures are real term. In terms of the period since 2013 14, uh, local authority revenue fund is uh, up 2.2 billion. Uh, that is 22.9% higher in cash terms uh, this year than it was in 2013 14. Um, and that uh, actually compares uh, with where Labour uh, is in government in Wales, of course. That 22.9% increase in cash terms over that time period uh, in Scotland. Uh, is 7.3% uh, in Wales. So councils doing rather better under the SNP in Scotland than they are doing under Labour in Wales. Anna you, uh, you always know when the First Minister is desperate when she starts talking about Wales. I, I remind her, I remind her she's the First Minister of Scotland and reads Scotland's National Party. The answer, the answer she was looking for was £6 billion. That's what's been cut from core budgets of councils. That's what this Scottish Government's own figures tell us. £6 billion cut from local budgets since 2013. In Glasgow alone, that cut has been over £1 billion. And what does that mean in practice? Across Scotland, it means a First Minister that tweets about reading books, but it means one in eight libraries shut since 2010 after a £210 million cut to library budgets. A £320 million cut for street cleaning, meaning fewer staff, more charges and less frequent collections. And it means £1.7 billion backlog in much-needed pothole repairs, leaving motorists to foot the bill for damage. The First Minister has taken a Tory cut, multiplied it and handed it down to local government. And even when her budget goes up, she still cuts local government budgets. So Nicola Sturgeon can spin all she likes, she can read out the stats in her little book all she likes. The reality is she's failing communities across the country. I'm prepared to bet, presiding officer, the facts in my little book are not going to suit Anna Sarwar. I'm pretty confident about that. Because he doesn't like he doesn't like me talking about Wales, but you see, Anna Sarwar stands up here and tries to say that if Labour were in government here, things would be so much better. So I think it's perfectly reasonable, don't think so. perfectly reasonable yeah. to look at where Labour is in government yeah, yeah, yeah. in the UK and uh, put that to some scrutiny. So a moment ago, I gave him uh, the cash figures uh, comparing Scotland and Wales for that period that he has picked uh, of 2013. Let me give him uh, the local authority uh, real terms revenue figures now as well. So since that period, 2.3% higher in Scotland in real terms, that's local government revenue funding. In Wales, 
10.7% lower. So actually, where Labour is in government, local authorities do much worse. And his £6 billion figure, of course, is selective and highly misleading because it completely ignores £3.6 billion of cumulative revenue funding since 2013. So let me tell you what Labour, what Anna Sarwar there, is deliberately ignoring to get to his figure. £2 billion of additional funding for expanding early learning and childcare, and £720 million that goes directly to headteachers to support the most vulnerable children in Scotland. That, presiding officer, is why Labour doesn't like the facts. And lastly, we'll take no lectures from Labour when it comes to funding in Glasgow, because the SNP administration has had to pick up the pieces of the equal pay scandal that Labour presided over. Labour robbed women across Glasgow of money that was rightfully theirs. I'm proud of the fact that an SNP administration paid them that money back. That answer might have sounded good when you were practising on the gravy bus on the way in, but I think communities across the country can see how you've decimated local communities. Because while SNP councils across the country nod through SNP cuts and fail to put up a fight, Labour councillors here in Scotland are doing everything they can to stand up for their communities and protect them from the cost of living crisis. In Inverclyde, in Inverclyde, a £350 payment to 8,000 low-income households delivered by a Labour Council. In Glasgow, in contrast, the SNP have cut the £100 payment to help pensioners with the winter fuel payment. In West Lothian, discounted rail travel for the over 60s delivered by Labour, but across Scotland, the SNP hike rail fares and hit hard-pressed families. In North Lanarkshire, Labour has topped up the welfare fund, supporting hundreds of families. The SNP government have refused to back Labour's plans to do the same across the country. So while Labour lead on the way on tackling the cost of living crisis, the SNP prefer to make it a constitutional debate. After 15 years in government, maybe Nicola Sturgeon should stop pretending she's in opposition and actually act to stand up for the people of Scotland. First Minister. In terms of 15 years in government, just on some of the things Anna Sarwar has talked about there, let's look at benefits. It's this government that supports the welfare fund. It's this government that has established the Scottish child payment and increased that child payment. It's this government that has created new benefits. The Carers Allowance Supplement, the Young Carers Grant, don't exist anywhere else in the UK, including where Labour is in government. It's this government that has increased welfare payments by 6%, not 3%. Uh, with the UK government. It's this government that's introduced the baby box uh, that has trebled uh, early years education and childcare. All of that delivered by this government. And of course, people will have the opportunity to cast their verdict on all of this tomorrow. And I think it speaks volumes that Labour, after five years in parts of the country, uh, working hand in glove with the Conservatives and Council administrations, uh, that Labour is in a scrap for second place with the Conservatives. That's the summit of Labour's ambition. Well, my ambition is to win the election so that the SNP can go on delivering, delivering real improvements for people right across Scotland. And I am happy to let the people of Scotland be the judge of that. Thank you. We'll now move to supplementaries. And I call Jim Fairley. <coughs> Thank you, President Officer. 
First Minister, a recent report by the London School of Economics Centre for Economic Performance has indicated that Brexit-related trade barriers have driven a 6% increase in UK food prices. Adding to the squeeze in consumer spending power, despite Scotland not voting for Brexit, it is clear that this damaging Tory policy is continuing to exacerbate the cost of living crisis for people right across Scotland and the UK. So does the First Minister agree that the UK Government has shown itself totally incapable of providing adequate support to the people facing the brunt of this cost of living crisis? And does she also agree that it is only with the full powers of independence that we can protect Scotland's incomes, tackle poverty and build a fairer society for Scotland? First Minister. Yeah, I think Jim Fairley is absolutely right. In so many ways, this cost of living crisis has been created by the Conservative. Uh, Brexit has uh, exacerbated that crisis and is exacerbating that crisis each and every single day. And the Scottish Government, alongside many others, repeatedly warned that Brexit would be damaging to businesses, damaging to trade and would put food prices up. And we are seeing all of that right now. Of course, had Scotland been independent, we couldn't have been dragged out of the EU against our will. And when Scotland is independent, we can become part of the European family of nations again. And I think more and more people across Scotland want to see that happen. Yeah. Jamie Green. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. Nearly one million hours of unpaid community sentencing has either been written off completely or not served at all. To put it into context, that's 100 years of sentences. Um, does the First Minister, off the back of this statistic, still have full confidence in her policy on community sentencing? Because let me assure her, the victims of crimes that I speak to don't. First Minister. Yes, I do, and I think it is uh, misleading to cite hours in that way because there will always be hours uh, in the system of unpaid work that haven't been done, but they will be uh, done. Uh, obviously, there has been a COVID impact on this, uh, but sentencing ultimately is a matter for courts. Community payback orders, though, are a credible community sentence uh, which make individuals pay back to the community um, while being punished uh, for the crime uh, they have committed. So, yes, I do have confidence, and we continue to work uh, with the justice sector to ensure recovery from the COVID impacts. Sarah Boyack. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Can I draw members' attention to my register of interest? The First Minister may be aware of the story of Edinburgh resident Callum Grievers, who has got muscular dystrophy and needs a suitable home, with two bedrooms on the ground floor close to his family and care team. But after being told he may have to wait three years to access, access social housing, he crowdsourced £32,000 for a deposit to buy his own home with the help of the government's lift scheme. With average prices in Edinburgh being double that of the scheme's limit, what does the First Minister say to Callum, who now feels left at the mercy of an out-of-control property market, and will she and the Scottish Government now take urgent action on the housing crisis facing our capital city? First Minister. Um, can I thank Sarah Boyett for raising this case? I, I don't know all of the details of Callum's case, although I am certainly happy to look into it. But Shona Robinson is indicating to me that she is aware of this case and is already uh, looking into that. And she will write to Sarah Boyack uh, with further details when she has the opportunity to do that. We are working uh, more generally. Um, obviously, I am upset uh, to hear about Callum's situation and want to do anything we can to help. More generally, of course. We are working uh, with councils to ensure uh, a continued supply of affordable housing. Uh, we've got a very good record on that and want to build on it. Uh, once we see the councils elected tomorrow, we look forward to renewing that constructive partnership. Christine Graham. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. First Minister, will you join with me 
Uh, and I hope the Chamber, in celebrating Poland's National Constitution Day, which was yesterday, 3rd of May, celebrating and commemorating the declaration and adoption of Poland's first constitution on 3rd of May 1791, particularly in these days when Poland is doing so much to support its troubled neighbour, Ukraine. First Minister. Yes, I am very happy to take this opportunity to congratulate Poland and the Polish people on their National Constitution uh, Day. I recently had the opportunity in London to meet with uh, the Polish ambassador and express directly to him the gratitude I think many people feel to Poland uh, for the help they are giving uh, to Ukraine and in particular the help they are giving to those displaced from uh, Ukraine. So we wish Poland and the Polish people well. Maurice Golden. Thank you, Presiding Officer. This makes a total mockery of the six-year campaign battle for Frank's law. The buck stops with the Scottish Government, no matter what excuse it comes up with. Ministers need to explain why I was misled in this way, or dare I say it, even lied to. That was Amanda Capel's reaction when she heard the SNP had broken their promise to double ring fence funding for Frank's Law. Amanda is in the public gallery today, so can the First Minister answer Amanda's question? Why was she misled in this way? Well, First firstly, Minister. I would take the opportunity, as I have done personally to Amanda previously, but since she's in the chamber today, I will do so again to thank her for her campaigning. Um, I do not consider uh, that she was misled in any way. I'd be happy to speak directly to her um, about this. Uh, Frank's law is being, will be implemented in full. The funding has been made available. But more important than that, uh, there is a, a statutory entitlement to that. Uh, so it is the law uh, that Frank's law, that's why it is called Frank's law, has to be met uh, by councils. Uh, I consider this to be really important, as I know uh, for obvious reasons Amanda does, and I want to uh, reiterate the commitment to her today uh, that Frank's law uh, will be implemented and implemented in full. Jackie Bailey. NHS staff have received a temporary increase in their mileage rate in recognition of the substantial increase in the cost of fuel, and that is welcome. But there was no similar increase for social care workers, many of whom in the private sector are only being paid 25 pence per mile. So they are effectively subsidising their employers and they're leaving the sector because they can't afford to do this. The Minister's response to me in a parliamentary question was that the Scottish Government were in discussion with COSLA about this. But I have correspondence here that directly contradicts that claim. There has been no engagement with COSLA about this. I'm sure the First Minister will agree with me that being disingenuous with the Parliament is unacceptable. But will she insist on urgent discussions now to ensure that care workers get an increase in their fuel allowance that they absolutely deserve? First Minister. We will do everything possible to ensure that social uh, care workers are treated uh, fairly. Uh, it, there is a difference, of course, and Jackie Bailey is well aware of this. In fact, I, I think she referenced it. Uh, government uh, is not the direct employer of many social care workers because they are employed uh, by uh, local councils or indeed by private operators. So it is not as straightforward as it is with the NHS. Uh, however, I will ensure after uh, councils are re-elected tomorrow that there is engagement uh, with councils, uh, with COSLA, to see if we can take forward an agreement uh, that ensures that social care workers are treated uh, fairly in these really difficult times uh, for everyone. 
Question number three, Gillian Mackay. To ask the First Minister whether she will provide an update on what the Scottish Government is doing to support households through the cost of living crisis. First Minister. But we are currently doing everything we can and we will continue to do so within our powers and resources to help people facing the impacts of higher energy bills, increased food costs uh, and of course the UK Government's national insurance hike uh, and interest rate rises. However, it is a fact that most of the resources and levers to tackle this crisis lie with the UK Government and we need to see the UK Government do much more. However, through our own cost of living support, through our spend on Scottish Social Security, payments many not available elsewhere in the UK, uh, we are set to invest almost £770 million to tackle the cost of living crisis this uh, year. Uh, of course, we will also lift an estimated 50,000 children out of relative poverty uh, through the Scottish Child Payment. Julian Mackay. I thank the First Minister for her answer. A Tory hard Brexit has hit food supplies. Tory social security cuts have hit household budgets, and Tory obsession with fossil fuels means soaring energy bills. People are struggling with a cost of living crisis that is entirely of the UK government's making, and in Scotland we are doing what we can to mitigate. I am proud that the constructive and collaborative work by the Scottish Greens has led to free bus travel for young people, more than doubling the Scottish child payment, the biggest investment in energy efficiency in the UK, and mitigation of the cruel benefit cap. Does the First Minister agree that constructive politics should be practised at all levels of government and that tomorrow voters should think global and act local by electing councillors who will work together to deliver more of this progressive agenda? First Minister. Yes, I do agree with that. I also think Gillian Mackay is absolutely right to point out that in so many ways uh, this cost of living crisis is a Tory-made, yeah. Tory-created crisis, but the actions uh, that have been highlighted are very good examples of partnership, constructive partnership working between the SNP and the Scottish Green Group in this Parliament to tackle inequality and poverty. We have worked together to ensure that we are supporting households through the Scottish Child Payment, mitigating the UK Government benefit cap, uh, which of course disproportionately impacts on families, um, and of course introducing under-22 bus travel, all actions supporting households, uh, and we are doing all of that uh, within our fixed uh, budget. This is in stark contrast to the UK Government's failure to act, uh, which is exacerbating this crisis. Uh, removing the £20 universal credit uh, top-up, failing to match our action in uprating benefits and the hike to national insurance are all placing much more pressure on households. The time is now to provide immediate financial help to tackle the cost of living crisis uh, and people across Scotland, of course, tomorrow have the opportunity to say that very loudly and very clearly. Siobhan Brown. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Last week, the Chancellor said it was silly for the Tory government to help households struggling with their bills. Yesterday, Boris Johnson admitted he's not done enough to alleviate the pain of the current cost of living crisis. And today, the UK Environment Minister said to cope with the cost of living, people should choose value brands, and the government intervening would be throwing money at a crisis. Does the First Minister think that the Tories don't understand or they simply don't care about the pressure people are facing just now? First Minister. Well, is it that they don't understand or that they don't care? I think, to be honest, it's probably both of those things. I don't think they understand at all. I think they are deeply out of touch. But we know from callous Tory policies down the years that they don't care that much about those struggling uh, either. 
Uh, their actions and words in recent weeks uh, show that they don't understand, and I think their failure to act shows that they don't care nearly enough. I think we've seen various, heard various government ministers admit this, uh, and I am shocked, like I think many people are shocked, uh, that they think it's OK to describe supporting families facing hardship as throwing money at people, or even worse, silly. Uh, there is a desperate pressing need to act now to support households who are feeling the cost of living pressures acutely every single day. So the UK government could act. They could cut VAT on fuel bills. Uh, they could tax all companies on excess profits, not just energy companies. They could increase benefits, as we have done where we have been able to, and they could reinstate the £20 universal credit cuts. So these are uh, all things they could and should do. What is not and shouldn't be an option is for them to continue to sit with their head in the sand and take no action to support households so much in need at this time. Question number four, Colin Beattie. To ask the First Minister how the Scottish Government plans to mark Deaf Awareness Week 2022. First Minister. Deaf Awareness Week 2022 is an important time to reflect on the barriers that deaf people face every day. And it's an opportunity to highlight uh, the very valuable work many people across Scotland do to raise awareness of the experiences of deaf people. We want to make Scotland a really good place for BSL users. Um, I was proud that this Parliament was the first to legislate specifically for British Sign Language back in 2015. And since then, we have published the BSL National Plan, the first of its kind in the UK. Uh, in addition, we have provided over a million pounds of funding from the Equality and Human Rights Fund to the British Deaf Association Scotland, Deaf Blind Scotland and the Scottish Ethnic Minority Deaf Club and a further £5 million to organisations working to promote disability equality. Colin Beattie. It is estimated that one in five of the population in Scotland are living with some form of hearing loss. Deafness does not discriminate and can impact anyone at any time in their life. Will the First Minister agree that the key aims of Deaf Awareness Week will help increase visibility and promote inclusion for all in the deaf community? First Minister. Uh, yes, I agree very much. The key aims of Deaf Awareness Week are to recognise and highlight the barriers that deaf people face in their daily lives, but also to promote discussions about how we improve the lives of deaf people. And I agree wholeheartedly uh, that Awareness Week will help increase visibility and promote inclusion for everyone in the deaf community. Of course, the BSL Act has been in place since 2015. We continue to take forward a range of actions to promote equality and inclusion for deaf and hearing impaired people and for BSL signers, including investing in support services, hearing dogs projects and a Scottish sensory uh, hub. So we will continue uh, to do everything we can uh, in support, uh, but I want to take the opportunity to congratulate everybody involved in Deaf Awareness Week uh, on that, uh, because it will do, I am sure, a lot of good. Pam Gossel. Thank you, Presiding Officer. School leavers with additional special needs, including some deaf pupils, have always been below the average percentage of school leavers in a positive destination. First Minister, with an increasing number of pupils with ASN and decreasing special teachers in publicly funded schools, do you agree that your government should be doing more to solve these issues and help pupils with ASN to succeed? First Minister. Yes, I think all governments, including my government, uh, should do as much as we can and indeed uh, should do more all the time. 
uh, to help ESN pupils. That is partly about uh, specific ESN teachers, but it's about ensuring that all teachers, everybody who works in schools, are able uh, to support young people who have additional needs. So we'll continue uh, to take a range of actions to do that uh, so that we do have a situation in Scotland, which I hope we can all agree is one we want, uh, where everybody has the chance to succeed uh, and to fulfil their potential in life, uh, regardless of their circumstances. Faisal Chowdhury. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Would the First Minister agree with a number of my constituents that waiting lists for NHS audiology appointments remain unacceptably long, and that one thing the Scottish Government could do in the spirit of Deaf Awareness Week is to commit to addressing them? First Minister. Uh, we have a, a review of audiology underway, which I think is really important. I, I think I would uh, concede, uh, as is the case in many countries, uh, that waiting times for access to NHS services uh, in all areas are too long right now, partly down to the COVID impact. And it's important that we uh, work to invest in services, uh, but also to redesign services where that is appropriate. And that is important for audiology, uh, as it is for a range of other conditions. Question number five, Brian Whittle. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister what action the Scottish Government is taking to support the return of disability sport in the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic. First Minister. Through Sport Scotland, we are providing almost £600,000 this year to help deliver the new plan uh, of Scottish Disability Sport, uh, which is the sports body for people of all ages and abilities with physical, sensory or learning disabilities. Uh, this launched in April 2021 and sets a clear vision that sport and physical activity in Scotland is welcoming and inclusive for participants with disabilities. And this comes in addition to last summer's Get Into Summer programme that included targeted sessions at grassroots level for children and young people with disabilities. Brian Whittle. Uh, I thank the First Minister for that answer. But sport in general has taken a significant hit during COVID, many being unable to participate, the impact of which we are already beginning to see in both the nation's physical and mental health. Disability sport has been disproportionately affected with sports like uh, power chair football, which I think is a fantastic sport, allowing the inclusion for some of the most disabled athletes struggling to regain and recruit players. First Minister, these crucial outlets for inclusion will not recover and thrive without direct intervention from both Scottish governments, local and national. So can I ask the First Minister what specific consideration has the Scottish Government given to actively encourage and enable disabled sports recovery from post-pandemic? First Minister. I agree very much with uh, the sentiments of the question and I agree about the importance of sport generally but also ensuring that people with disabilities are able to fully participate uh, in sport if that is their wish but also uh, physical activity. I, I already spoke in my original answer about the funding that we have made available um, and I'm very happy in light of this question to look at what uh, further action we can take to try to support the recovery from uh, the COVID impact of sport in general. Uh, but disability sport in particular, and I'll ask the Minister in due course to write to the member with further details of that consideration. Question number six, Claire Baker. Um, thank you. To ask the First Minister whether the medication-assisted treatment standards 
have been fully embedded across Scotland. First Minister. Uh, work to embed uh, the MAT standards by local services and alcohol and drug partnerships is ongoing. It is a crucial and significant undertaking. The Minister for Drugs Policy committed to provide updates to Parliament on the progress of the MAT standards on a six-monthly basis and will provide a full update and report to Parliament next month. Uh, this will follow the ongoing evaluation of local progress from each health and social care partnership area. And later in the summer, a subsequent report will provide uh, further detail of the work undertaken in each area. And this work, of course, is being supported with annual funding of £10 million uh, over the next four years. Claire Baker. Um, thank you. In March 2021, the Drugs Minister pledged that the MAT standards would be fully embedded across the country by April 2022. In reality, it is increasingly clear that the target is not going to be met given the wholly inadequate funding of drug treatment services, health and social care services and the workforce over the past 15 years. This failure is leading to lives continuing to be needlessly lost. This is supposed to be a national mission, but instead of delivering the standards they promised, more families are going to have to suffer while they continue to wait for action. What does the First Minister have to say to them? First Minister. Well, I recognise the importance of the MAT standards and the government is doing what it committed to do. It is important that these standards are embedded in every local area and that they are then properly implemented. And that is the work that is underway and the work uh, that the Minister has committed to report to Parliament on regularly. The standards, and it's important to be clear, apply to all services and organisations responsible for the delivery of care and access to treatment is a key part uh, of supporting uh, those uh, who use drugs um, and, of course, is a key part of our overall strategy to reduce uh, deaths from drugs. So the Minister will report uh, next month, but this work continues to be of the highest priority for the Government as a whole. Thank you. We we'll return to general and constituency supplementaries, and I call Claire Adamson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. To ask the First Minister whether she will provide an update on any discussions the Scottish Government has had with the UK Minister for Brexit Opportunities in light of the potential impact on Scotland of his reported comments regarding the Northern Ireland Protocol. First Minister. Well, we remain very deeply concerned about the ongoing dispute over the Northern Ireland Protocol. Uh, the Protocol is, of course, part of the EU-UK withdrawal agreement. Uh, at the time Boris Johnson signed it, he described it as a fantastic moment. Uh, the Europe Minister Neil Gray has written to the UK Government making clear that invoking Article 16 of the Protocol or indeed unilaterally introducing legislation to breach international law would be deeply irresponsible and would probably trigger uh, severe trade and economic impacts for the whole UK, uh, but Scotland included in that. In light of the very serious implications of such action, we would certainly expect the Scottish Government to be involved in discussions in advance. However, despite a repeated request, the UK Government has shown to date no willingness to engage on these issues. Edward Mountain. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. First Minister, we now know the Scottish Government have decided to make HIE fund the additional repairs to the Cairngorm Funicular Railway. This will have to come from HIE's annual budget. We know the repair bill will be well in excess of £20 million. When the Scottish Government made this decision, they knew that as a consequence, some Highland businesses would lose their financial support from HIE. Will the Government review the decision which I believe will cripple HIE and Highland businesses. First Minister. 
Uh, we want to support Highland businesses and we will continue to work with High to uh, make sure that we can deliver uh, on its priorities. Um, I will look at this particular issue uh, in light of the question uh, in more detail and happy to come back to the member in due course once I have had the opportunity to do so. Mercedes Bialba. Police Scotland's International Development and Innovation Unit continues to provide training to some of the world's most serious human rights abusers. In Colombia, where there is evidence of human rights abuses committed by the National Police, including the killing of protesters, Police Scotland officers continue to provide training. Given the evidence of human rights abuses committed by the National Colombian Police, can the First Minister explain why the Scottish Government approved the deployment of Police Scotland officers to Colombia? First Minister. Operational matters uh, are for the Chief Constable, and I'm sure the Chief Constable will uh, pay attention to this exchange. I, I recognise uh, these issues can be sensitive and, and controversial, uh, but it is really important to recognise that where Police uh, Scotland provides uh, support and training to police forces in other parts of the world, it is about enhancing human rights um, and ensuring that police forces in parts of the world where that has not always been the case are trained in a human rights approach to policing. Uh, but I recognise the concerns that can be addressed here and I will ensure, uh, or I will ask, uh, the Chief Constable of course is independent of government, but I will ask the Chief Constable to write to the member uh, in more detail about these particular issues. And Sue Webber. Thank you, Presiding Officer. First Minister, Scotland has been trailing behind other parts of the UK for some time now on the resumption of breast cancer screening for those aged over 71. This is having a real impact on women aged over 70. Just last week, I was contacted by a woman from Edinburgh who had a request for a mammogram twice refused by NHS Lothian. Margaret was able to get an appointment, however, at Newcastle, where screening revealed an invasive lobular breast cancer which needed to be removed by surgery and follow-up radiation. So can I ask you, First Minister, three simple questions. If other UK nations can continue to screen, why can Scotland not do it? In the meantime, does the First Minister think it's acceptable that Scots should have to travel to England for screening? And does the First Minister agree with my constituent Margaret that her cancer might have been detected earlier, much earlier, and with a much more favourable outcome if her request for screening had not been refused in Scotland? First Minister. These are really important issues and I think it's important for me to be uh, clear on aspects of them and in doing so I'll try to address all three of, of the questions. In respect to the individual case, of course, I understand the, the concern um, and the anxiety of the individual concerned. Uh, breast screening uh, is recommended for patients between 50 and uh, 70. The recommendation, the clinical recommendation uh, is that that should be routine breast screening every three years. Um, and our advice has been, as uh, we have sought to recover these services from the impact of the pandemic uh, and the brief cessation uh, of all screening services at an earlier stage of the pandemic, we focus uh, firstly on those for whom breast screening is uh, specifically recommended to make sure we can catch up on any appointments that have been missed there. The first question in terms of uh, other UK uh, governments will take their decisions. I have heard a concern uh, that uh, reintroducing uh, the optional screening for women over 70 uh, has perhaps uh, had an impact um, on, in other parts of the UK on ensuring catch-up in those for whom it is recommended. I don't know if that is the case, but I have heard that concern uh, communicated. Uh, we have sought to prioritise uh, those for whom it is recommended. However, we are currently working towards the reintroduction of self-referrals 
for those over the age of 71 uh, later this year. Uh, we intend uh, that that will be resumed in the autumn of this year, and uh, we consider that that will enable that to happen uh, while ensuring that any impact on the eligible screening population is minimised. And that, of course, is really important as well. Thank you. That concludes First Minister's questions. There will be a brief pause before we move to portfolio questions.